show and watch this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio and Rob Paxton. We're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetnam. James, obviously, you've had a wonderful weekend in Prague. Uh, how was your trip? Yeah, it was good, Rob. I was covering an MMA show called Octagon. They've absolutely monopolised the sport out in the Czech Republic. If you've not heard of them, you probably will soon because they're doing massive things out there, packing enormous stadiums, really bringing the fan experience to the cage. And despite not necessarily having you know the UFC brand names across the world, they've made real stars in the Czech Republic. So this event was headlined by Patrick Kinsell versus Carlos Zamola. Zamola, bit of a background in the UFC, so some hardcore fans will know him. But these two men absolutely despise one another. They've had an ancient rivalry dating back five years. Zamola claims that he he told Kinsell he was injured and Kinsell called him out anyway. They used to be friends. They all fell out. There's been suing allegations. There's been the lot. In the rematch, this time around... Kinsell won, but a great show all in all. Any stories worth sharing from the event? Oh, there probably is, Rob. You know I'm not James anymore. No, are you not? I'm y- I'm Yamez now, according to all the Czech people. Yeah, that's what oh. they call me. Oh, well, so, we're yeah. going to have to write that down. James Yamez, tweet them for now yeah, on. When you, do, when you do the intros, Rob, I'd like you to refer to me now as my Czech name of Yamez. So uh, we'll carry on with that. But uh, no... I'll tell you what is pretty interesting about these shows is they're not traditional in the sense that you go to an event and the show just flows and there's no extra entertainment. There was some pretty wild stuff. So first and foremost, they have a big monkey called Dodo and he is essentially a man in a shoot dressed as a big monkey. He's got a yellow belt wrapped around his neck. He's got the fight shorts on. He goes around firing t-shirts at people. He has his own segments of the show. He gets in the cage and beats up a banana when there's no fights going on and to make matters even more spectacular. So Rob, can you imagine this? Picture this. You've just had the fight of your life. It's been a tough night at the office. You've been beat. You've been knocked out. And you get up and you have to listen to the ref tell you that, unfortunately, the other guy's won. You've lost. It isn't your day. And then imagine a big monkey stood in the background dancing and jumping on top of the cage. This is what these Czech fighters have to go through out there. Yeah. You, you begin to think whether you've concussed, really, and whether you, whether it's all going... What, what What's happening all around you is actually real, things like that. I think, it's like I say, it sounds like it's an amazing uh, experience. Obviously, it's, uh, like I said, it's, is, it, is it a Czech... Uh, tradition, that kind of thing. Is that why everyone sort of buys into it? I couldn't tell you, Rob. I've got no idea whether monkeys at fighting events are a tradition, <laughs> but I'd like to hope that they are, Rob. And I'll tell you what I found also interesting. They have the, do you remember the old style kiss cams? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they had them. They had them. They also had muscle cams where they, you know, tried to get people to flex. And they also had six pack cams. Right. So they go around and try and find the most chiselled possible gentleman and get them to flax their abs. And then they'd, if they approved, they'd put like a, a gif of like a, a six-pack on the screen. Hmm. So they, they were doing this one by one by one. And then they picked out possibly the largest gentleman in the arena. And they made him do it. And he obviously showed off his, his, his belly, mm-hmm. in all, all fairness. And then they, sh- they put up some pictures on the screen of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a gif of a fat person, which I thought was was horrible. I don't think you get away with that in England, but regardless, it seems the Czechs have some interesting traditions. Mm. Did uh, did Yanis get involved? Well, I was involved. Well, as you said, Rob, about being concussed and not knowing what was going on, <laughs> I half thought that I'd been in the cage and been concussed, and that's why I was having this amazing experience. <laughs> was it, I haven't said this show, it looked high value, was it? 
Honestly, Rob, the most spectacular light show I've ever seen in person. And the noise, Rob, was absolutely deafening. As I said mm. before, Kinsella and Vimola in the world are probably about the 50th best on the planet. So, you know, good fighters, but they're, but, you know, they're like, it's like a, you know, a, a top level championship game. But out there, it was absolutely enormous. It nearly deafened me, the noise, to be quite frank, the noise that they made for these two stars. Uh, I believe they've got a competition going as well there where they branded the Champions League of MMA. Talk us through that. Yeah, so in the co-main event, we had the quarterfinals of the Tip Sport Game Changer, which is a, what they, as you just mentioned, is called the uh, the Champions League of MMA. And we had a British lad called Alex Mahore. He was born in the Ivory Coast. He actually wears a crown to distinguish himself from the rest of his competitors because that's what they do in his village. That's what the king does to separate himself from the rest of the villages. Unfortunately, he came up short against a man called David Cosma, who goes by the name of the Pink Panther because he he goes to the cage in a, a loop with a luminous pink hair. So it was a good fight. Unfortunately, the Hore, the British lad, couldn't get it done. And then they had another one of these quarterfinal matchups, a fighter called Lewis Glisman from Denmark. He excelled with a fantastic submission, which is, is, is more than worth a watch if you get a chance to YouTube that. Mm. Obviously, with all the madness sort of going on, how does that sort of transition into into England? You think, and, and Great Britain? Obviously, there's certain things that that are happening in in Prague that you know we'd probably frown upon. But do, do you think similar stuff can happen here? It's interesting you say that, Rob, because you just walk around the streets in Prague, you see some pretty wild stuff, and you're thinking, <laughs> yes, that's pretty mental. But I don't know how it will translate over here. To be honest, they have got their UK debut in Manchester on November the fourth which is interesting because they've just recently expanded into Germany and it's gone down really well there. So you'd like to hope that the same thing will happen in Manchester. They're going to be headlining that bill with a celebrity matchup. I don't know if you've heard of these two men, Rob, but they've got Paul Smith, a comedian from Liverpool. He's one half. And then the other is Jake Quickenden. He was a reality TV star. He's done X Factor, I'm a Celebrity, SES Who Dares Wins. He won Dance Nice, which is probably the most impressive achievement of the lot. But they're going to be going toe-to-toe and there's going to be a few top-level fighters on the undercard below them as well. So hopefully it'll be a big night, but I don't know how a Dodo the Monkey or the Kiss Cams will all go down. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, obviously, like you say, we're going on to boxing in a moment, but boxing have that um, sort of way where they try and enticing uh, like YouTubers and, and celebrities into the sport to grow the profile. Do you think um, sort of MMA will, will do the same? Yeah, I think so. I think what the likes of KSI and Tommy Fury and Jake Paul have taught is that you don't necessarily need fighters at the top level to entertain. Ultimately, if you look at these guys that I've just mentioned, they're not the top of the tree from a talent perspective, but people care about those narratives. And looking now to what Octagon do, they really sell the narratives. So I think they're going to be able to do that with Jake Quickington and Paul Smith. They're two crossover stars who I think will be able to attract a non-MMA fan. Because Jake, I mean, he's the sort of person that appears on This Morning. And Paul is just a comedian who's gone viral through his incredibly hard graft on the comedy circuit. So these are two men that I think will be able to cross over and bring in non-MMA fans. And that is what we need to do at the moment. Because the sport has got its hardcore audience, but we also need to find new people. Mm. So all that, with all that in mind, James, where do you see MMA in five, ten years' time? Getting bigger and bigger. I'm wondering when there's going to be some genuine competition for the UFC. I mean... I actually haven't. I'm not going to say that Octagon is the second biggest promotion on the planet because we do have the likes of PFL and Bellator that are pretty big internationally. But there's nobody, no other promotion that's doing events on that scale. Perhaps one championship out in Asia, but aside from that, 
I think Octagon are the only ones. So they are some real competition. And I think the sport of MMA is going to continue to grow because promotions like Octagon are growing it in Eastern Europe. And promotions like One Championship are growing out in Asia. So it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Mm. It's obviously exciting times in the world of MMA. And obviously you followed it for, for a long time, haven't you, James? Yeah, most certainly. When I got into this industry, Rob, I wanted to be an MMA journalist. And I'm, I'm sort of doing that now amongst amongst other things uh, in, in the old freelance game. But yeah, no, we've been we've been covering this on the Sports Zone for a very long time now, Rob. Almost five years together now. You've nearly known me for half a decade, which is pretty wow. crazy because it feels like yesterday I wandered into the Sports Zone studio for the first time. Yeah, should have, should have shut that door. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so plenty of MMA to, to come on the Sports Zone. We'll get you tuned in, uh, and James will f- tell you all about what's going on in the world of MMA. Let's move on to boxing. It was a massive week in the world of boxing as Casey Taylor officially lost for the first time uh, as a professional. Uh, to make matters worse, she was a, it was a first fight in Dublin. Uh, talk us through it, James. Yeah, pretty mental stuff, Rob. Katie Taylor, of course... The most famous women's boxer of all time. I don't necessarily want to say the greatest. She's certainly up there. For me, Clarissa Shield probably just pips her to the post. But she has done incredible things in Ireland, winning those Olympic medals. She's been amazing, a national superstar. Recently selling out Madison Square Garden against Amanda Serrano. She is a truly a big name and a once-in-a-generation fighter. Yeah, a first loss on paper. I think she's lost previously twice to Delphine Pursuit, but the decision didn't go the right way. But regardless, an incredible fighter in her own right. has done amazing things, and she deserved this homecoming. Unfortunately, she just came across a woman who wouldn't be beating, Chantel Cameron. And I thought when they announced those scorecards that they were going to rob the girl from Northampton, but luckily the judges saw her right, and she won And she won on the scorecards. But yeah, Katie Taylor, a great fighter, but it just wasn't her night. Chantel was excellent throughout. She built an early lead, and she just didn't let it go. Hmm. What do you make of uh, Chantel Cameron? Surely the sky's the limit for her. I mean, in her last two fights, Rob, she's beaten two undisputed champions. Hmm. It, it doesn't get a lot better than that. I mean, you couldn't pick a better, a better couple of victories. So she's absolutely amazing. She does a lot for the community as well through a charity called Maverick Stars. She donates food. She mentors young girls. So she really is doing a lot. And I hope she goes very far, Chantel Cameron. Mm. What does the loss do to Katie Taylor's legacy, James? I mean, she was considered unbeatable. I never saw her in that light because of the the Pursuit fights. But either way, I think regardless of the defeat, I think she's pretty much cast in stone. She's a superstar in Ireland. Even before her pro transition, she was doing amazing things in the amateurs. So I still think she goes down as a very good fighter. Mm. Should they do a rematch? Katie Taylor is apparently going to activate the rematch clause in her contract, so it looks like it. But I, I honestly just think Chantella beat her again. She's the younger woman. She's the flashier operator. She's the bigger operator. So I fancy Chantelle to do another job on Taylor. I think, obviously, sometimes when it comes to rematches, it's it's whether the fighters can do anything different, really, isn't it? Because, obviously, they'll both know their own sort of capacity. They'll both know what to expect. So you've got to be different enough to change the result. And sometimes fighters don't can't do that, can they? Yeah, especially when they're getting older, Rob. And mm. the, the example with Taylor is that, granted, she got the decision again in the rematch, but she didn't change anything to Delphine Pursuit in the second fight. If anything, she lost more conclusively. So I really would fancy Chantel. And let's not forget, yes, she's had a couple of big fights, Chantel Cameron, but she's got nowhere near the same experience on the big stage. So having beaten Katie Taylor once, it'll just grow her confidence even more so. What's the money like in, in women's boxing? Obviously, would a rematch be financially um, you know, acceptable for both fighters? The money in women's boxing, 
it'd be good at the top end for, for Taylor and Ken when I'm sure they'll get well paid. The promoters are able to get around paying them as much as they possibly should because of the two-minute rounds. They are technically doing less time and therefore not getting as much pay. But I've been a massive advocate that we should up women's fights to three-minute three rounds just like the men. I think that'd be a much better way to do it. Hmm. Um, moving on, Conor McGregor was ringside and he looked gutted with the result. Yeah, Conor McGregor, everybody knows his antics and all that sort of stuff. He's a he's a very pro-Taylor kind of guy. He was speaking very enthusiastically in quite a few of the press conference events. And Look, he's formed a close bond with Katie. I mean, the pair of them are probably the two biggest combat sports stars in Irish history. So, unsurprisingly, he was pretty upset by it. But, I mean, Katie Taylor is to fight another day. As for McGregor, who knows? He's got a big fight lined up of his own. So, it's, look, it's going to be good to see him back in the cage. Who's this big fight up against? He is taking on Michael Chandler, Rob, who is a good fighter, a two-time Bellator champion, a real great of this sport. Not yet a UFC champion, but he could well be somebody who plays to the crowd, very heavy-handed, a good wrestler, a good opponent for Conor McGregor, because when Chandler does try and get fan approval, he leaves himself open. So there's every chance that McGregor could win this one. I'd still make Chandler the favourite. They're going to be starring together in The Ultimate Fighter, which is a reality TV competition where budding hopefuls try and find their place in the UFC. And these two men are going to be the coaches. And by the trailers that we've seen, there's some pushing and shoving. They don't get on particularly well. So, yeah, that should be great. And that debuts, I believe, on May 30th on BT Sport or what is about to become TNT Sports, I believe. Mm. Uh, Connor, Ben caught more headlines on the undercard. Tell us about that. He did. While Kel Brook was getting interviewed, Conor Ben came over and gave him a bit of a shove and then they ended up in a push and a shoving match. I don't know if it was real or not, but it seemed like this is a potential fight for the future. It's difficult with Conor Ben because he's he's not remotely been proven innocent of the of whole drug testing debacle. So it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens next to him because there are a lot of people that do not want him to fight right now. They believe it brings a big black stain on the sport and I would probably agree with that. I think even at this stage, Brooke probably has enough to beat Conor Ben, but you never know. He's been out of the ring for a while and Conor Ben is the fresher man. Yeah, I suppose boxing kind of runs a fine line, doesn't it? You know, with 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 uh, you know bad things that happen, you know, bad people even in life. And I suppose if you want the, the sport to be sort of cleaned up, uh, you don't want sort of people involved that, that do that kind of thing. No, you most certainly do not, Rob. You'd like the sport to be as clean as possible. And we're going to get on to a quite controversial decision that went on over the weekend. But it's just sad, Rob. It doesn't help the sport. It just worsens it. It turns what could be hardcore fans off from the sport and they remain casual because they simply get annoyed by it, to put it in its purest form. Mm. Um, this week, Tyson Fury has taken aim at Joe Rogan and UFC heavyweight champion John Jones. What's he got himself into this time, James? Well, Joe Rogan on an episode of his podcast claimed that if Tyson Fury and UFC heavyweight champion John Jones were locked in a room together, Tyson Fury would absolutely have no chance of getting out of that room alive and John Jones would tear him apart limb by limb. Uh, Fury's, of course, taken exception to this comment. He's released a far mouth rant against the podcaster calling him a bold midget, I believe his words were. <laughs> okay. So uh, that's not gone down particularly well. Tyson then called out John Jones via an Instagram video. John responded, saying that he was more than up for it, and then Tyson sort of changed the rhetoric, saying he'd like it to be a boxing match. So, you know, uh, interesting stuff. I don't believe for one minute Tyson Fury would actually step in the cage with John Jones, but, you know, you never know. Is this really Tyson Fury trying still to be relevant, you know, with everything going on regarding not getting opponents for his next fight? Possibly. And now there's rumours that he's not even going to be fighting at all. 
in the summer. Tyson Fury's popularity. I've not I've not seen a skyrocket like it in a long time. He he truly is is in the mud with the fans at the moment, and it's his own fault if it's been financial greed or making a mockery of the fans, and it, it's just not going down well for him at the moment. Mm. Uh, there was also a controversial decision in a big fight in America. Talk us through that. There was Vasily Lomachenko versus Devin Haney, a great fight between two very good fighters. Devin, the current undisputed champion. Vasily Lomachenko, one of the all-time greats, a truly electric fighter, beautifully talented, beautifully technical, and most thought he won last night. Uh, he didn't get the decision, and that's left a lot of people upset. Some are claiming robbery, some are claiming it was close. Either way, most suspect, most thought that Vasily high-tech Lomachenko did enough, and at his advancing age, it's sad that he didn't get his crowning moment. And uh, so with that, what happens next then, James? By the sounds of it, Devin isn't interested in giving Vasily uh, a rematch, despite the fact that most people think he lost. I mean, you'd like him to get straight in with a Shakur Stevenson or uh, Javante Davis. Will that happen? I don't think Davis will. Uh, Shakur Stevenson possibly, because they're under the same promotional banner at the moment, but you just don't know. Boxing's always a frustrating sport in that way. Yeah, there was a shocking uh, knockout on the undercar as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, poor Andrew Maloney, a fighter who I think a lot of people like, an Australian kid, somebody who held a version of the WBA regular title, a very likeable guy. And just a week ago, his brother, Jason Maloney, won a world title in pretty impressive fashion. So everybody was hoping that he could do the same thing too. But unfortunately, he just couldn't. He got in the ring with somebody who was incredible, who was exceptionally talented, who obviously hits very hard, and ultimately he simply wasn't able to cope with it. He tried his very best. He went down in the early rounds. He kept trying and trying and trying, but ultimately it just wasn't enough. And, you know, that's the sport at times. It, it's it's an unforgiving mistress. Andrew Maloney somebody I think everybody wants to do well, but it doesn't always work out like that. Can he bounce back and win a world title? I'm not sure because this was a vacant belt. It's... And the one he won before was a, you know, was a regular title, really. So I don't know whether he's capable of becoming a world champion or not. I'd like to think that that he is, but ultimately I, I'm really not sure. But the fact he beat him, exceptional performance, and he's going to be moving on to bigger and better things. But we're going to have to wait a while, I think, to see him back in the ring because I think he he deserves a much needed rest right now. So Nakatani, a great fighter, I can't wait to see him back in the ring. Mm. In other news, Andy Ruiz had his Instagram hacked this week. Obviously, social media means lots of people, doesn't it? It does, and it's never ideal if your ex my wife gets her hands on it, Rob. Because <laughs> right. it can result in all sorts of allegations. I mean, I, I don't know if I can get into them on the show, but if you you know, if you know search Andy Ruiz's name on Google right now, you probably get a decent idea of what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, it's not ideal for Andy. He's, he's claimed that these allegations are false, but we'll have to wait and see what comes out in the wash. Mm. The result of the KSI fight has been turned into a no contest. Was that a right decision, James? 100%. I mean, KSI was winning the fight, but it's absolutely irrelevant in the overall end of the bout. He landed a great right hand, but he follows it up with a a blatant elbow, Rob. It's a pretty outrageous shot. It puts Fournier clean out and take it into account that that is the shot that finished it. The PBA had no real choice other than to make it a no contest. I think calling it a disqualification would have been harsh because I'm not entirely sure that it was on purpose. So I think the no contest was the correct result. KSI loses his victory over the 9-0 pro. And Joe Fournier, after being rendered unconscious, remains undefeated. So pretty wild world. Do they go again then, James, or not? Maybe. 
I mean, KSI has pretty much nailed in to fight Tommy Fury in August, and this has sort of ruined all those plans. He makes the big statement, and then it's all taken away from him. I mean, quite rightfully, quite rightfully. So it's just a shame that one mistake has cost him the entire thing. Did they go again? Maybe, but I don't think Joe Fournier looked like he had any real chance of winning. As far as I'm concerned, he's he's had a bit of a lucky escape, really, because now he can, he can carry on saying he's an undefeated pro. Mm. Um, David Hay has joined Chris Eubank Jr. in a training camp ahead of the Liam Smith rematch. Will he be good? Will he be a good addition to his uh, training camp? Hay knows what he's talking about. He was fantastic in the prime of his career. And while people may remember him for those two Tony Bellew defeats before that, the wins he was picking up in the cruiserweight division, that big one out against uh, Morgan in France, that was a massive win. Uh, value up was a big win. John Ruiz, Audley Harrison, Derek Chisora. This, these are the fights we remember him for. He was a great fighter when he was in his pomp. However, I don't think stylistically he's going to have anything positive to really give you, Mac Jr. I think Chris needs to go back to basics and do what got him to the dance, that high-pressure output. That's what he does well, those flashy combinations, not trying to be a slickster because that's simply not his style. Are they, they're both different weights, aren't they, as well? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that mean they'd have to fight differently, or are they similar builds? Yeah, yeah, you're right. David A was pretty athletic for a cruiserweight slash heavyweight. He moved very well, and that was probably the thing that got him most of his big wins. He was evasive, and he'd, he'd find a way to land that famous haymaker. But you are right. Chris Eubank doesn't fight anything like him, really. Mm. So will he be able to offer anything in terms of teachings? I don't know, and he's got no real experience as a coach, so I do think it's an interesting appointment. Makes you wonder why he didn't sort of get his dad involved, because his dad was a was a real top, top fighter. Uh, but is that, obviously, he doesn't want to be in his shadow. Is that the reason why he's gone for Hay? Yeah, quite possibly. It's weird, the thing with his dad, because at one point, Chris Eubank Sr. was all over the show, and while he was never officially training him, he was at every single event. Everybody knows that Chris Eubank Sr. likes the camera, don't they? So he was at all these events. He was at all the press conferences saying that Chris Eubank Jr. was going to do amazing things, and he's tailed off. At the moment, there's been a lot of controversy with him. He was very, very outspoken about the fact that when Eubank Jr. was trying to cut down for the Conor Ben fight to £157, which is £3 lower than he'd fought even years before, there was general concern for his health there. So Chris Eubank Sr. expressed that. He made a lot of claims against Ben and Hearn, claims that some fans would claim were were rightful and, and just, really. So Eubank Sr. has a lot of love in his heart for his son, and I think that's possibly why he's been removed from the equation because his emotion may may cloud what Eubank Jr. wants to do, even if he probably is looking out for him, even if he probably is trying to do the best by him. And I think we could all agree that, you know, doing that weight cut wasn't particularly good. So perhaps Eubank Sr. has a point, but he's out of the equation for now. And I don't know what this new training team is going to do. I was never a fan of the whole Roy Jones setup originally. Then he put in that big performance against Liam Williams. I thought, okay, maybe this, maybe this will work, but we can't slick him up too much because it's not going to be to his benefit. Hmm. A former UFC heavyweight champion has signed a massive deal, which will see him compete in the MMA and boxing arenas. Can he do any damage in the ring? Francis Ngannou is an interesting one, Rob. He was the former UFC heavyweight champion, a fighter who is very capable of knocking out a man or possibly even a horse with one punch. He carries that sort of, you know, jaw-shattering jaw power. He has the record for the heaviest punch in UFC history. It is the equivalent of being hit by a Ford Escort going at full speed, Rob. Mm. So that is the equivalent of how hard Francis Ngannou hits. Will that necessarily translate into boxing? I don't know. 
is he capable of maybe beating some lower level guys, maybe some guys who are over the hill possibly? Can he compete with Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, Usyk, Zilli Zhang, people like that? I don't think so. I don't think he'll be at that level. However, it'll probably build a spectacle. He'll probably be well paid for it. But I'm more looking forward to when he gets back into MMA. He's going to have some big fights in the PFL. They'll have to bring some heavy hitters in for him because even in the UFC, he was struggling to find competition for Ngarni. But either way, I think the future is interesting for him. Is this the beginning of a athlete that duels between the two sports, you think? Possibly. At this stage, I think Francis Ngarni is just trying to make the most money possible. He, he, mm. he didn't agree with the business side of the UFC. And I know he's heavily involved in trying to grow that branch in Africa. And the UFC fans over there have been crying out for a fight and they've not received it. So if Francis Ngannou can bring them one with the PFL, I think that'd be pretty, pretty big, Rob. I really do. Mm. After being pulled out of a big fight, Fraser Clark has a new opponent, uh, but is he good enough to test the Olympian? No, I don't think so. Marius Wack, good in his prime, not so much now. He's 43 years old. He's lost, I think, his three last fights. He's over the hill, very much so. I don't think Boxer will be able to live this one down for a long time. They pulled Fraser Clark out of a fight that he was willing to take. Let, let's get this into perspective. Granted, Wardley may have more pro experience, but he only had two white-collar fights before turning pro. Fraser Clark was an Olympic bronze medalist. It was a dreadful decision, in my opinion, from Ben Shalom. And I don't think this, this new opponent will do anything to rebuild his reputation. Hmm. And finally, Scott Fitzgerald has been sentenced to 46 weeks in jail. Sad stuff for him. Yeah, it uh, really is. He, he knocked a man out outside of a pub and he's doing the do 46 weeks for it. Scott Fitzgerald is somebody who quite publicly has battled with addiction. I hope he manages to kick that habit and I hope he comes out of jail a better man because he's been causing con constant controversy in recent years and obviously there are other charges looming over his head and hopefully justice is served whichever way that is with him. But now, looking on to rugby, Salford Red Devils are through to the Challenge Cup quarterfinal beating Huddersfield. What a moment, Rob. Yeah, what an exciting game, James. Pure drama uh, from beginning to end. Salford raced into a 24-point uh, lead after 24 minutes. Then Huddersfield, 10 minutes for half-time, scored three tries. Uh, so it was all nip and tuck at that point. Then Salford got back in front. And uh, yeah, what drama. It's it's what you want in a cup tie. Uh, fantastic occasion. Uh, a, a decent enough crowd, obviously, because it was on V play uh, on a Saturday as well. Uh, and yeah, you know, it was it was a game that if you were new to rugby league, you'd really, really enjoy. Um, Salford tries goals with Matt Costello, Alex Gerrard, Callum Watkins, two for Reese Williams, one for Joel Burgess and one for Mark Sneed. Uh, Mark Sneed kicked seven goals as well. And I spoke to Callum Watkins, Danny Addy and Alex Gerrard after the game. And this is what they had to say. So I'm joined by uh, Callum Watkins through the next round. How do you feel? Yeah, happy to get uh, get through. Um, really weird game, that. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we've got a lot of improvement to, to do. Um, in terms of our discipline and stuff, we let them back in the game from through, through what we did. And um, credit to Huddersfield, they fought really well and got themselves back in it. And, you know, they're a talented team, so... Um, for us, um, we're happy to get through. We're happy to get through. We showed some desperation there, especially at the end when they were trying to get the winner there. So um, we're happy with that. Um, we'll uh, we'll move on to next week, but through to the next round, which is positive. What was it like, obviously, on the field? We, we raced off into, into a lead, and other people came back. What's it like on the field? Obviously, is it is it exciting or is it panicky or what? No, it is exciting. I think you have to get a level, a level of control. I think and. That's through for our actions and what we do. I thought um, when we got into that healthy lead, which we earned uh, for our hard work, 
uh, we just let ourselves down in terms of that and uh, let them back in the game but we find ways we find ways to win you know these kind of games can can set us in in good stead going into the, the next few rounds now yeah we found a way like you said how important was that obviously with the other field comeback we found a way to win yeah we found a way to win i think it was it was a big thing obviously let them them come back uh, especially just before our time i thought you know we're not gonna have this again in terms of uh, the st helens result that we did last week so uh, we responded well in terms of how we started i thought we, were, we started really well and um we kept, we kept ourselves in the game and, you know, we, we, we managed to get there in the end. So, you know, uh, Sneedy's kicks were, were pretty crucial in that, in, in that. So, you know, deserves a lot of credit and good win for us. Yeah, that's experienced and successful rugby like yourself. What would it feel to win a Challenge Cup with Salford? I mean, everything. I think, um, you know, this is what we this is what we play for. You know, uh, we want this club to, to be successful and we've got to be competing for them trophies. And... However uh, we do it, you know, uh, this kind of game was kind of crazy, but we found our way to win, and that's all. It, that's what it's all about in the Challenge Cup. You, you find his way, find a way to win. Performances don't really matter, but we, we focus on making sure that we're better uh, next week. What was it like getting over the line? Pop ball pops up, and you dive over. Yeah, nice. I was, I was doing one for a while now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was nice. To, we, had, we had kind of a plan play on that. Um, you know, with that, we knew Huddersfield would, would be aggressive in terms of their their goal line D, um, and the. You know, we, we, me and Brody spoke about it uh, just before the game that that player was on. And, you know, it worked. So, um, like I say, positive. No, we were happy that we got through, but a lot of work to do. Yeah, Hull up next. Obviously, win tonight. Opportunity to build momentum. Yeah, of course. Um, we, we went on a good run. Uh, got four on the bounce, but you know, had a defeat of Saints. We responded well, better this time. Got the win. Um, we're coming up against a team that are full of confidence. Um, Hull don't want to get one back at us. Uh, you know what we did to them at their place. So for us, uh, we need to keep, keep doing what we're doing, being disciplined. Um, you know, play how we play uh, and play on our own terms. And you know, we should be okay next week. Brilliant. Cheers for joining us and uh, well done tonight. So I'm joined by uh, Danny Addy. Through to the next round. How do you feel? Yeah, scrappy game on it. Um, good start. The, the, they started well and pretty much blew them out of the park and then uh, you know back end of that first half they were let, let a few uh, black half foot off gas really and, and uh, same at end as well we've managed to pull it back <clears throat> and then at end it was pulled itself three scores in front and then still managed to make a game of it but. yeah funny old game rugby league with momentum obviously we raced ahead they fought back like you said we found extra gears at the end to win the game what's it like on the field when that kind of thing is it exciting to play is it as it exciting as was to watch no <laughs> no <laughs> no it's not exciting to play well it is of course it is that, that's why we play we're yeah, yeah. playing these big games and we're in, we're in next round so we're happy but at the same time we sort of a performance that we're not too happy with but you know it's one of them it's one of them days challenge cup it's a different competition it's um not really matter how you're playing these games just winning's important so what would winning the challenge cup mean to you everything yeah yeah definitely um we spoke about it this week it's a dream in it it's just why you play um yeah it'd be, it'd be unreal yeah. something i'd uh, cherish forever yeah Hull next obviously one tonight opportunity to build some momentum yeah that's it yeah just get back to winning ways we won a few on bounce and then um, tough game last week against Saints back to a good win they're a good side of this field you know what I mean it's um, it's not an easy game whenever we're playing the beaters at home once this year um, but yeah like I said we'll back to drawing board Monday prep for a, a big week against Hull you know I'm sure it's going to be a different uh, different game to when we played them away so 
Uh, we'll have a good week's prep for all, and then uh, yeah, we'll be ready. And how were you feeling back in action after being off injured? Yeah, obviously frustrating. Eight months out, then came back, played five games, then got injured again. But yeah, hopefully that's behind me now. Nice to get. You know, I only got 20, 25 minutes today, but uh, just easing my way back into it, and yeah, I'm, I'm ready to f- um, finish season strong. Brilliant. Cheers, Danny, and well done tonight. <coughs> so I'm joined by Alex Gerrard through to the next round of the cup. How do you feel? Yeah, really good. Um weird game but always good to get the win and um, always good to be in the hat for the next round yeah and getting over the line as well for a score it's always nice for a front row isn't it they don't come round too often so yeah I enjoyed that one and um, again it was all about getting the win today and moving into that next round what was it like obviously you know us racing off into a lead Udderfield coming back momentum shifts all over yeah Huddersfield are a great side they've got some great players um, I think we started really well I think Huddersfield got themselves back into the game and then um, we had some key moments and a few players stepped up and we managed to get the just the, <laughs> the, the amount of tries that we needed to uh, get the win what was it like in the half time in the dressing room obviously you know, Huddersfield pegging us back what was the discussion like we just needed to improve on our day um, our attack was fine we just needed to tighten up in D and um, I think we did that in patches but I, th- I think we just need to be a bit more consistent in that area yeah second half found our mojo and blew him away in the end yeah exactly like that mate we're into the next half now so see we get in the draw What's, uh, what would the Challenge Cup mean to you if we went on and won it Oh, everything for me, you know, it's something you dream about as a kid growing up and, you know, I've not, I've not been fortunate enough to play in a final, so, you know, that's definitely a, a drive for me, you know, when you get into my age as well and you're not, that's definitely a, a big motivation, so we've got a really good team here, we don't get too ahead of ourselves, we'll keep working hard for each other and we'll just keep taking it game by game. And how, how are you feeling, obviously, coming back from injury, still feeling like you can put a shift in and do a job? Yeah, I feel alright, I feel like I'm a bit rusty, second game back now, so hopefully a few more games and I'll start to get a bit of uh, form. Yeah, Hull next, uh, obviously one tonight, opportunity to build momentum. Definitely, just keep going week to week, keep concentrating on us and I'm sure we'll be where we deserve to be. Brilliant, cheers, thanks for talking to us and uh, well done tonight. Thank you. So obviously the lads excited about the victory and looking forward to the next round of the Challenge Cup, James. I think we all are, Rob. Are you expecting Salford to do a bit of a cup run and go all the way this year? James, it's an exciting time to be a Salford Red Devils fan. Paul Rowley has got the players playing some really attractive stuff. 82 points in a game. You know, Salford scores 42 of them. Defending, you know, we're not going to talk about the defence because it, was, it wasn't there to be seen. But you have to score them, don't you? And, and it was a really exciting game. And I think Paul Rowley knows how he wants his team to play. He knows that if they get opportunity and they get good ball, they will score. If they tighten up that defence... Anything happening in the Challenge Cup, it's a, it's a prodigious competition. All us old fans dream about going on and, and winning it. Um, we got there a few years ago against Leeds, unfortunately went down to defeat during the COVID era. era. But you never know, Paul Rowley has some good players in this squad um, and and they're confident and that's a, that's a dangerous ingredient for other teams uh, who might face them. Most certainly, Rob. I mean, 82 points, as you previously mentioned, is absolutely insane. And you're right. There wasn't much defence on display, but that just made it all the more exciting. Yeah, 82 points, six tries apiece. It was only a penalty goal uh, from or conversion from Max Need was a difference between the two sides. Uh, Ian Watson, Salford's former coach in charge at Huddersfield. There's an extra layer of jar- drama there because he left, obviously, to, to fear further his career in a way. So them being out of the cup, you know, is is a, is one of the eye for him. But we've got to, we've got to say rugby league is 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 a wonderful game played at you know super speed, super powerful athletes, and you know it's it's 
it was a wonderful uh, advert for the game. If anyone was there to watch it on the day uh, and back at home on TV, you, you'd have been you'd have fell in love with it, James. It was a wonderful, wonderful game. Fantastic, Rob. But Salford shot the famous South Stand. I mean, why was that, and how was it watching in the East Stand? Yeah, you know, they, they shut the south stand because obviously with the TV, the cameras faced the stand, so they wanted it to look a bit fuller and a bit more better for the television. And you know what, James, it it works out well. The atmosphere was fantastic. Um, you know, songs and you know people who who usually sort of stand together in in the south stand found themselves in this in this east stand, which is a side of the pitch, so it's a different viewing point, slightly lower than than the south stand in in where you have to sit to, to watch, but. Listen, it was amazing experience. I thought the players reacted well to it. I thought the fans, you know, despite uh, a beer throwing incident, which the club will be investigate, uh, hopefully. Apart from that little incident, the fans were out were fantastic. Plenty of noise throughout, cheering the boys on. Uh, and even Ryan Briley, Salford's fullback, said it, it it helped and inspired the players to victory. So I think it's a big. Big tick for the uh, for the for the the East Stand to be used, but obviously it's a different situation when it comes to league games and season tickets. Uh, it's a big decision for Paul King to make, possibly next season, whether to shut the South Stand completely and only have the East Stand and the West Stand open for fans, because obviously fans like to stand and, and watch the watch the match. But when you're with seats, you have to sit down for health and safety reasons and things like that. So it will be a big decision uh, whether. Paul King decides to shut that south stand completely and, and reinvest into the east stand because the east stand is a really good stand. It's it's quite sort of narrow, not massive open spaces, generated a fantastic atmosphere. And uh, yeah, be interested to see what happens next. It most certainly will, Rob. But now we've looked at Salford, how do the other games go? Yeah, other teams in the in the Challenge Cup this week. Uh, St. Helens beat Halifax 26 6. Uh, Lee Leopards beat uh, Super League. Uh, Dweller, Super League bottom side, Wakefield, 40 points to 12 away at Wakefield. Uh, Hull Kingston Rovers beat Batley, 50 points to nil at home. Um, the big guns, Wigan and Leeds, for our classic contest, Wigan coming out on top, 18-14. Warrington travelled to France, to South France, and beat Catalan, 16 points to 14. Uh, Hull, who were Salford's opponents next week, beat Castleford, 32 points to 8. And then the two teams outside Super League, York and London, had a right good contest with York coming out on top, 32, 36 points to 12, James. So it's what the the, uh, the Challenge Cup is all about. It's, it's thrills, it's spills, and it's teams all vying to get that two spots at Wembley uh, to play for the big trophy. Most certainly, Rob. And what's the draw for the next round? Yeah, Salford have been drawn away at Hull Kingston Rovers. The tie will be either the 16th or 18th of June. Um, difficult place to go at uh, Craven Park. Okiara are a very good side. Found a bit of form this season. Uh, we're going to have to be on our metal to, to get through. But you're hoping that we can uh, we can find uh, the similar performance that we did um, against Huddersfield at weekend. If we can score tries like that, we'll, we'll get through and then the world's our oyster. Oh, completely, Rob. There's no telling how far you and this Salford team can go. But you've got a big game this week, and so have Swinton. So could you talk me through them? Yeah, we face Hull KR's neighbours, Hull FC, 
on Saturday at the Salford City Stadium. Obviously, victory against uh, Huddersfield this week. We're hoping to build momentum. If you want to be in a playoff spot, James, come the end of the season, you need to win games. Obviously, we won uh, four on the spin before defeat last week. But you're hoping we can get another you know, run going because that's the important thing. If you can get two, three, four wins on the spin a couple of times throughout the season, that will guarantee a playoff spot. Paul Rowley has his players. He knows what to expect. Yes, we've got injuries, but we're in good form. This uh, this game against Huddersfield shows we can score tries. So it will be very exciting to see what's happened. Hull FC have turned the corner after a you know a, a disastrous start to the season. Tony Smith, experienced coach, has managed to get them in shape uh, and they beat Castleford this week in the Challenge Cup. So they'll be confident. Obviously, we, we beat Hull FC very well at the KC early on the season. So they'll be looking at uh, revenge there, but it will be very exciting. Swinton Lions are away at uh, Witness Vikings. Win- Swinton haven't had a game in the last couple of weeks. Witness are a top side in that division, so it will be a big test uh, for both sides. But exciting, that's what Rugby League is all about. That's what we want to see, don't we? We want to see action. We want to see tries, and hopefully both our sides coming out with a win. Absolutely, Rob. And now moving on to the world of football, and it has been an astronomical week for the area with big results for Manchester City and indeed Salford. But let's look at City first. They're the Premier League champions, Rob. Hmm. Crowned Premier League champions, obviously Pep Guardiola. You know, what a job he's done at Manchester City. Um, Three Premier League um, wins on the spin. Um, you know, with the players that he's got and the oppos- the opponents that he's had to put away, uh, it just shows what Man City is all about. We we talk about you know a dynasty and a legacy they're going to leave behind, uh, and he's building that now. Uh, yeah, you've got to you got to hold your hands up. Man City are the, are the best football team in this country by a country mile. They've got you know international players, world class players throughout, uh, and deserve champion. James, what do you think? I completely agree, Rob. They're just a class above, aren't they? Guardiola, genius, Haaland, monster. It was always going to be tough to beat them. Arsenal came exceptionally close. They weren't able to do so in the end. How will they be feeling now? Is this a big opportunity missed? And will they get an opportunity like this again? Well, they're a young side, aren't they, Arsenal? And when you think about it, coming through this process of Man City, you know, chasing you down, it's not the first time, it's not the first rodeo Man City have been involved in in this situation. They've chased Liverpool down before. Um, will Arsenal react better than Liverpool have? Uh, that's a good question, James, because obviously, like you said, with Arteta there, the the ghosts of, of, of previous uh, coaches like Arsene Wenger and George Graham, you know, the famous Arsenal 1-0 team that, that were successful back in the day. Arsene Wenger's, you know, double winners as well. So it's interesting to see whether they can react to this uh, setback and go again, but we both we but we all know what the big thing is. It's money. Can the Arsenal owners invest enough to claw that advantage back from Manchester City? And that'll be the the question on everyone's lips. It will be up. And now there's another question on people's lips: Can Pep Guardia pull off the Champions League? Because a four 0 win over Real Madrid. They bring an aggregate of 5-1 after a draw in the first. Like, utterly incredible. Silver bagging two. Ankei bagging one. Alvarez bagging another. What, what, what a result for Manchester City. Yeah. And they were in total control 
uh, throughout as well, uh, James. Well, you know, we, we talk about special European nights, don't we? And and this one was just a ticket. Obviously, Real Madrid, with all their history and all the good players in that squad and then and that team, especially in midfield, didn't get a kick. Man City just played around them and they had them at arm's length throughout. Um, like you said, it's, it's a really a, a, a sign for the rest of Europe to say, look, Manchester City are here. It will be interesting to see what happens in the final against Inter Milan. Will Pep Guardiola bottle it again? Will he overthink what's going on? But let's be fair, Inter Milan aren't in the same category of top European club as Manchester City. So it's it's for me, it's cities to lose. Um, but funny things happened in football and we'll have to wait and see. We most were, we most certainly will, Rob. I want to ask you, what do you make of Inter Milan? Do you think they're going to be able to put up much of a fight? Well, Inter Milan are you know, a real nuggety kind of team. They'll, they'll graft, uh, they'll try and stay in the contest. Um, but against the likes of Manchester City, they're just a machine, aren't they, Manchester? You need to have that little bit of little bit of luck. You need that extra, you need that X factor, and you need to to be able to produce the magic. And I just I just worry that the the Inter Milan don't have the what's the word the the ammunition and the the style to to beat City. Um, I just think it's Pep Guardiola's time, and I think this team when they start winning one. It could get scary, two, three, four down the line, because no one in Europe can touch them, James. No, they're seemingly better than absolutely everybody, Rob. And it's worrying times now, because in years gone by, we've dreaded it, but they've always managed to mess up somehow. It's not happened, and it's almost become a bit of a running joke that Manchester City can't win in Europe. But, Rob, even as a process of elimination, surely they have to do it eventually if they get enough rolls of the dice. Mm. It's looking like this could be the year. As a Manchester United fan, how do you feel? Well, yeah, it, it will be it will be sad because obviously you've seen the decline of Manchester United as as the rise of Manchester has happened, and you know we we look back at the famous sort of ninety nine team and the treble that they produced and the drama that that went through that season. You know Villa Park and Ryan Giggs and uh, Juventus away and, and Tottenham in the last game of the season, Liverpool in the FA Cup, dramatic moments through the season, but this Man City team. I've never had to go to that extra gear to make that drama happen. They've just gone through, done what needed to done. Yeah, we've got Haaland bagging goals galore, haven't we? But he's got there's more to Man City than than Haaland, and they've got brilliant players all, all around it. So, does this Man City team better than Man United team of '99? If they do manage to win the treble, I think they do, James, because they just did it with ease. Yeah, they did. They did. They've been pretty brilliant, haven't they? And only two games left to play now. Brighton and Brentford, they're both going down this week. Are we suspecting pretty good performances from City? And do we, you know, bring in some rotation players for these games? Well, you've got a point, Jase, because obviously they've got the European Cup to think about. So they will be looking at resting players. Um, it, and it will be interesting to see you know, what Pep Guardiola does in, in this situation. Um, obviously, last time we got to the European Cup final with Chelsea beating him, he overthought that. So I'm sure with that experience behind him, he knows what his players can produce and where they are physically and mentally. So, yeah, I'm thinking they'll rotate the, the, the players in this last two games and uh, see how it goes and get ready for the, the Cup final against Inter Milan. 
Yeah, it's a big one. This treble is looking more and more likely, and I think collectively we're all dreading this idea that looks like inevitable at this stage. Manchester United, obviously, all in all, we're coming towards the end of the season now, and I still think a pretty good one. We picked up a victory yesterday against Bournemouth, a 1-0 there. Are you happy with that, Casemiro bagging a gold in the ninth minute? Yeah, qualifying for, for the Champions League is the, the most important thing. Um, Casemiro has been a, a key player for us, so him getting on the score sheet, you know, shows how important it is. It's has it been a successful season? Yeah, I think obviously Ten Hag knows the uh, the the good things and the bad things at Manchester United, and he'll need a couple of transfer windows to solve these problems. But yeah, Bournemouth's a tough place to go. A one nil win, confidence going into that FA Cup final against Man City in the next few weeks. Uh, we just need to keep winning, keep people fit, and then for Man United, that FA Cup final against Matty is against Man City is everything into it. Obviously, with the the treble looming large at that point, uh, if uh, Man United can uh, steal uh, the FA Cup, it were a bit like when Man United uh, stopped Liverpool in 1977 completing a, a treble. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, history can repeat itself. Yeah, most certainly will, Rob. It's looking like we are going to maintain our position in the top four. We've got two games left that are coming up this week. Fulham will be the final game of the season, but we've also got a biggie against Chelsea on the 25th of May. Frank Lampard has been struggling with the Blues. He's not been able to inspire any real resurgence. Is this a game we win easily? Or, well, because it's Manchester United, will Chelsea have that extra motivation to get the job done? Yeah, I think you've got that with teams that face Manchester United because... They are Manchester United, and will Chelsea raise the game? They've invested heavily, haven't they, in the uh, in the season in the recent transfer window with the hundred million pounds worth on players, and you know they're not quite clicked. Um, you know, new coach with Frank Lampard coming back in. There's uncertainty about who will replace Frank Lampard, unless you know Frank Lampard doesn't. Or uh, is it Pochettino coming in actually for Chelsea? So he'll be a interesting thing whether he can mould these players. But looking at the uh, the game. You know, it's at home. You think Man United would get a result um, and continue that moment ready for the FA Cup? Absolutely. And somebody else who needs to maintain a level of momentum. Granted, they lost, you know, the last game, but Everton have managed to crawl their way out of the relegation zone. It looks almost definite that they were going down, but they're alive for now. Will they stay out of it? Yeah, Sean Dyche uh, coming in at Everton when all seemed lost has, has managed to, to to find results, find confidence. Uh, Last-minute equaliser at Wolves at weekend has has given a bit of a, a bit of a, a gap now between uh, them and Leeds, but there's still only one like one game to go. Uh, both teams will uh, be looking at the, the the table, and I think both teams are at home as well this weekend. So it will be fascinating to see uh, what happens. Obviously, there'll be lots of hand radios. Whatever they do them now, back back in the days, used to be hand radios, probably uh, mobile phones. Now with Bluetooth earpieces, listening to fire, listening to you know radio stations around the country, trying to find out what the score is. It's uh, it's always a dramatic. Uh, scene on the last uh, day when the relegation is there uh, for either team. It most certainly is, Rob. And we've just a game left to go. Everton, they're alive right now. Leeds are the team that could possibly catch them. I mean, this is a really a collision between two two pretty big name sides. Leeds, obviously, 
having that resurgence, getting back up into the Premier League, but a team with so much history, Everton the same, have never not been in the Premier League. Which of these two teams for you has more to lose? I think if Everton go down, that would be a, a carnage uh, moment. Because obviously there's a new stadium on the horizon, uh, investors possibly coming in at Goodison Park. Um, if they aren't in the Premier League, are they you know, a... Uh, as viable are they as exciting a prospects for these people coming in it's, it'll be fascinating to see like you say Leeds United are Yorkshire United aren't they you know they're such a big club in Yorkshire and, and everyone follows them so uh, it'd be sad obviously for them if they do uh, sort of depart the Premier League but Everton have been in the Premier, you know the top division for a long long time um, so it will be uh, a you know, be a massive, um, you know, disappointment for Merseyside if they do lose one of them teams. But it will be, a, you know, be exciting times on on Sunday. We love a, a bit of watching it and both sets of fans going through the the windmill uh, of emotions uh, and hopefully watching their team survive. Absolutely, Rob. And now, what a disappointment for Salford. We were ever so close to picking up a victory on Stockport, and we're going to talk all about the game. But first, Rob. In the week, you appeared on Hitched Radio to mm. break it down as the resident Salford fan and expert that you are. How was the experience? It was. It was very good, James. Obviously, building up the uh, the atmosphere, building up the tension, uh, talking to the uh, the, the Salford uh, faithful and, and the Stockport faithful about the game, uh, broadcasting my views uh, through the uh, through the radio. And you know, it, the match kind of lived up to that, James. It was you know, it was a real dramatic affair. Uh, both teams, you know, felt the nerves, uh, but like unfortunately for Salford, Stockport stole the game on penalties. They did, and how will that affect the confidence of Salford? Because they had quite a bit of momentum coming into this. Yeah, they did, James. And when we were excited about it, and you know, we we equalised in extra time, and it, you know, you could feel the, uh, you know, the 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 moment where we thought we were going to go through to the the final. But unfortunately, Stockport equalised again, and and uh, you know, got to penalties, and then with penalties, James, anything can happen, can't it? You know, we don't know, you know, what's going through a player's mind. Uh, ben Hinchliffe, the Stockport goal, they made two penalty saves there. You know, the Stockport fans rejoiced. Salford players sank to the knees, but they know where they've been and they know that the journey isn't over here. They'll go again next season. Uh, Neil Woods has gained valuable experience in the uh, in the role and I'm sure he'll be, be ready uh, to pick his troops up and, and go again uh, next season. Most certainly, Rob. I mean, in hindsight, do Salford need another season in this league? Well, it's difficult because like the last couple of seasons, James, they haven't made it. So they haven't made it into a playoff even. So do you have to take that opportunity when it presents itself? Um, are this team and this club ready to go to that next level? Obviously, with the class of 92 and all the money they've pumped in through the years, they've gone on this, you know, steady rise through the, the different leagues in the uh, in the football league. And, and they seem to have hit a wall at the moment. But how they get over that wall and get over, get on to the, the next level of football is, is is there. And it's one we all sit here and wonder whether it's a missed opportunity or whether they'll go again. And we're just kind of hoping that they'll they'll relearn from this and you know we'll we'll go into the next season excited, confident and know that if the opportunity comes again we'll do it different. Being honest Rob, what was your gut reaction when it went to penalties? Did you think we were going to pull it off? 
Well, when it when it goes to penalties, James, you know you sit there, don't you, and, and you you watch how the, the the player walks up to the uh, the penalty spot and how the goaler reacts. And these days, goalkeepers have you know videos, don't they, of all the players, you know taking penalties they know which way they're going to go so do, do players go the same way or, or do they go a different way and uh, it's things like that James that, that really you know it gets in a player's mind and obviously like I said Ben Hinchcliffe you know wonderful two penalty saves there take Stockport to the final and uh, yeah disappointing for Salford obviously with a minute to go James we've got to we've got to think about them Salford fans you know who have, who have gone on this journey throughout the season uh, it ends at Stockport but I'm sure it's not the end altogether no, most certainly not. And when you look back to you know how quickly Salford have been around, it's not that long, really. Do you think this is the vision that Paul Scholes and Gary Neville and the rest of the group had? Yeah, I think they have, James. I think, obviously, looking at it, you know, it's, like I said before, we're here on the Sports Zone. We talk about it every week. We've seen how this club has, has grown and grown uh, through the years. You know, successful promotions uh, and how the people of Salford have started to, to, to watch them and follow them. And, and the whole club has, has grown and become a, a fixture in the city. And that's an important thing, isn't it? You've got to make sure that, the growth is continuous and they, they build on it. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, was on the sports zone, uh, talking about them every week, as well as our other clubs, you know, interest will will grow. And I'm sure, you know, we'll, they'll really enjoy the exposure. Big thanks for tuning into the sports zone this week. I'm Rob Parkson, and we'll see you soon for more Salford Sporting Chat. 